Well, brothers and sisters, I invite you to take out your Bibles with me, and uh, we're going to turn again to the book of Daniel, and tonight looking together at Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7. We're going to look at the entire chapter once again, beginning at verse 1, reading then uh, through verse 28, Daniel 7. This is God's holy word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. 
Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions." As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns... Out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment... And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed but I kept the matter in my heart. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Let's ask his blessing. Father in heaven, it is to you that we come asking your help for this is a a difficult in many ways and yet powerful uh, chapter of scripture. And so I pray that we would not get lost in Uh, the trees, but would be able to discern with wisdom your message for your church in every age, including for us here uh, who are gathered tonight in our homes, for Jesus' sake and in his name, amen. Well, the book of Daniel is neatly divided into two parts, into two halves. The first six chapters, which we've already studied together, is historical narrative, and the second half of Daniel is apocalyptic literature. Apocalypsis means revelation or uh, unveiling. Uh, God, in this type of genre, uh, pulls back the curtain and invites us, as it were, in to see things as they really are from the perspective of heaven. If it felt in the first half of Daniel as if you and I were sitting down and listening to a series of short stories read aloud, I want you to think of the second half of Daniel more like watching a movie. This is the the way apocalyptic literature works. Uh, We will see with Daniel symbols and images and pictures. They will flash upon the screens of our mind. Over and over again, Daniel uses language like this. I saw, I looked, behold. One of the interpretive keys to understanding apocalyptic literature is understanding that there is both an immediate and a future application. 
In other words, God had a message for Daniel and the exiles then, but he also has a message for the church today. The issue really that the exiles were wrestling with uh, was, will we ever get back to our home? Will we ever make it back to Canaan? And if so, what will that journey look like? And in many ways, though our circumstances are far different from theirs, we're actually quite similar. Peter, the apostle, refers to us, the church, as strangers and exiles. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. The world in which we live is full of sadness and brokenness and difficulty. We join in with the creation as it groans for the renewing of a new heavens and a new earth. C.S. Lewis once said this, if I find in myself a desire in which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The question for us, though, is not just probabilities, but it's this, can we be certain Can we have a reasonable hope based on something real, based on something true, based on something accomplished that assures you and me that, yes, indeed, we're traveling to a better country. Yes, this will not last forever. There's a better day coming. So this evening, what I'd like to do is work through the chapter with you uh, by looking at two things. First, what Daniel sees, and then secondly, what it means, what it meant for him and what it means for us. So first of all, uh, look with me and consider what he sees, what he sees. This happened, you'll notice, according to verse 1, during the days of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So chronologically, we have to go a little bit back in time, and Daniel there has these visions, these dreams. And in verse 2 we read, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And both in Bible times as well as the ancient Near East, uh, the sea was symbolic for chaos, for danger. The sea was home to sea monsters and, and deep, profound mysteries and even death. The Jews hated the sea. And it was from the sea then, this chaos, that emerges in Daniel's vision for beasts. Now, boys and girls, uh, these beasts are extremely scary to Daniel. Daniel is not a a young man anymore. Daniel is in his 70s or 80s at this point, and seeing these beast-like creatures terrifies him. Uh, The first beast, he notices, uh, was like that of a lion. It wasn't exactly a lion. It was like a lion. In fact, it had uh, wings attached to it like the wings of an eagle. Then he sees a second beast. The second beast was like a bear. And in the bear's mouth uh, were three ribs. And this bear beast was told to devour much flesh. Then he sees a third beast like a leopard. A leopard with four wings of a bird and four heads. And then he sees the fourth beast. And the fourth beast is the most terrifying of all. 
This beast is dreadful to look at. This beast, he says, was exceedingly strong. This beast, as Daniel tries to describe it, has iron teeth and claws of bronze. He stamped what was left with its feet. He says at the end of verse 7, it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And among these ten horns came another horn, a little horn, but this little horn is described as having eyes like the eyes of a man, and it spoke. And Daniel says it spoke great things. These are strange, terrifying uh, beasts and images that Daniel is describing for us. Then at the same time, these are happening all at once, these dreams, these visions, he sees something quite different. Verse 9, he says, and as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And listen to how Daniel describes this Ancient of Days. He says that his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. In fact, he says, a stream of fire issued and came out before him. And then he says, a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. This great multitude of angels were standing before this great throne before the Ancient of Days, and he says, the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. On the bench, on the throne, was the Ancient of Days. As he looked, at the same time, he hears the sound of the little horn, boasting blasphemous things against the Ancient of Days. Then the beast, the fourth terrifying one, was killed, its body destroyed, and it was given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then he sees a third vision. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one, he says, like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Now, boys and girls, Daniel, at this point, after having these three visions, is absolutely terrified. Maybe some of you have had nightmares, and you wake up in a, in a hot sweat, and you're so afraid, you're trying to figure out what's what, what's real, what's not. Maybe you run up and, and tell mom and dad that you had a nightmare. Well, this was a nightmare for Daniel, except these things weren't just random dreams. Daniel had a very real sense that this was a revelation from God to him, and it left him anxious. It left him overwhelmed. There's an interesting reversal that happens 
in these apocalyptic chapters. Maybe you picked up on it already. In the opening six chapters, over and over again, we hear pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar having the dreams, and then Daniel is the one who is called upon to interpret the dreams. But here, the, the script is flipped on its side. Here it's Daniel who is having the dreams, and Daniel needs someone else to interpret these dreams for him. The question uh, that Daniel was dying to know is probably the question that you're wondering as well. What do these visions mean? Who were these beasts and what do they represent? Well, let's look secondly at what these things mean. At least let's try our best to get our hands around uh, how these applied first to Daniel in his day and then secondly in our own. So Daniel seeks to find out that question. He wants to know. He's terrified, but he wants answers to this question. And so he approaches one who is standing there, an angelic being. And look with me at verse 17. Here's one of the clues. We read, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. The four beasts, therefore, represent kings and kingdoms. Now, as we piece these puzzles together, uh, it makes sense to us and most scholars uh, to be able to, at least in immediate application, begin identifying who these beasts actually represent. Uh, The first beast, that which looks like a lion and has wings like an eagle, seems certainly to represent uh, Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar in particular. In fact, Jeremiah and Ezekiel speak of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, as both a lion and an eagle. And, in fact, if you look with me at verse 4, there are similarities to what we saw earlier in the journey of Nebuchadnezzar and his humiliation and what we read here. Look at verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. That sounds a lot like what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was turned into a beast-like creature when God humbled him, and then he was restored uh, like a man. If this is the case, then it follows that the second beast, which looks like a bear, which is told to devour much flesh, represents the Medes and the Persians, which, you'll remember, overtook the Babylonians. Which then means that this third creature, this leopard who has uh, wings like a bird and four heads, is probably the Greeks. It's interesting. A leopard has power, uh, but with wings like a bird speaks to its swiftness. Could it be, some scholars think, this is actually um, pointing to Alexander the Great, the great Greek leader who, by the age of 32 years old, accomplished an incredible amount of of, uh, occupation. Well, Daniel was mostly interested in the fourth beast, trying to pinpoint its identity. And so he asks the angel, and look with me at verse 23 through 25. 
The angel said to him, verse 23, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings." He, that is, this little horn, shall speak words, notice, against the Most High. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. As for Daniel's day and the day of the exiles, this is probably, therefore, the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire, which the world had never before seen. Now notice with me that at the end of the chapter, even if you include the second and third visions of the Ancient of Days and one like the Son of Man, Daniel is still overwhelmed. He says in verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel is is getting ready to return to Canaan, if not personally, at least his people. And through these visions, through these terrifying dreams, he comes to discover all that he and his people and future generations will have to undergo, will have to experience all of the oppression, all of the persecution that will come against the church. And it overwhelms Daniel. Daniel doesn't know what to do with it. Daniel doesn't know what to make of it. You know, we're so blessed. We're so blessed to live on this side of redemptive history. We saw it this morning with Job, the prophet who who spoke true things and yet couldn't fully understand because he hadn't yet seen the cross and empty tomb. We're so blessed. Do you realize how blessed you are and I am for where we live in redemptive history? Things which the prophets spoke of but didn't fully understand. Things which even angels long to look into. I was just reading this week, uh, Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus uh, speaks of John the Baptist. And he says, of those born of woman, no, no one is greater than John the Baptist. And yet... He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is there referring to position. He or she who is least in the kingdom of heaven in the new covenant age and era is is greater because of their better position. So Daniel sees this vision of this ancient of days but it's as if he can't quite make sense of it. But brothers and sisters, as we look at this passage and as we understand that there's both an immediate application to these four kingdoms, but also a future application to the church in every age, including our own, we can see that the second and third vision make all the difference in the world. We're told that the court sat in judgment. 
and on the throne was the Ancient of Days. This is none other than God himself, the immortal, invisible, God only wise, who is spoken of as being pure and wise and holy and powerful and just. This is how Daniel is, is, is describing him. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and standing before him were tens of, of thousands of angels giving him worship and honor. One commentator says he has the wisdom to sort out right from wrong. He has the purity to choose the right and the power to enforce his judgments. The books Daniel sees were opened. The court was sitting in judgment. And all of the deeds of these evil empires were going to be laid bare, naked in the sight of this holy God, the Ancient of Days. And we read incredibly of the judgment that takes place. We get a, a preview from the perspective of Daniel in verse 26. He says there, but the court shall sit in judgment, and here is the court's ruling, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. That is the kingdom of this fourth beast, and the, the kingdom of this little horn shall be taken away, shall be stripped from him, and it shall be consumed, and ultimately it shall be destroyed. Now the question is, of what time is this referring? Is this referring to the end of time, at the day of judgment? Or is this referring to another period of time? From the perspective of Daniel and the exiles, it was futuristic. Yet from the perspective of us, the New Covenant Church, this already happened. These open books, this judgment has already been determined. In the book of Mark, chapter 14, the end, Jesus is standing before the council and the high priest, the Jewish high priest, is questioning him. And the high priest says to Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of the Most High God? And Jesus says, yes. And then do you know where he quotes from? Daniel 7, our chapter, verse 13. Jesus is saying to the high priest, he's saying to the council, he's announcing to the world that he is the one who comes with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. Now we hear son of man and we think the humanity of Jesus, and yet this is his favorite way in the New Testament, the Gospels, of speaking about his deity in fact, it's striking when the high priest hears Jesus say that he is one like the Son of Man. In fact, he is the Son of Man. 
That was then the grounds upon which the high priest said, do we need any other evidence? He is blaspheming, crucify him. Why? Because he's claiming to be God. Only deity rides on the clouds. Jesus is announcing that he is the Son of Man. And so as a result, he was crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb. And yet upon his resurrection on the third day, that was the definitive moment, the validation. That was the day in which the books were opened, in which the Ancient of Days made a judgment. And Jesus Christ was presented, verse 13 of our, of our chapter, Daniel 7. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. This is not talking about the end, ultimately. This is talking about that which already has taken place. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and then when he ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God, as if to say, my work on earth has been finished, he was presented before God, the ancient of days. It was then. It was then when the judgment was made. Jesus said on earth after he was raised from the dead, before he ascended, what? To the church. What's the commission? How does the great commission start? All authority has been given to me. Authority where? In heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. You see, the message for the church, the message for us, the message for followers of Jesus in every time and place is that the ultimate war has already been decided. Satan has already been defeated. God has already won. And he did it in the most unusual and surprising of places. He did it on a cross. And he did it through an empty tomb. This was D-Day. This was the day, the de definitive day, where Jesus Christ was validated and presented then in his ascension and glory at the right hand of the Father. You see, what an encouragement to the church. In the midst of our trials and tribulations and, and persecutions and oppositions and suffering, what an encouragement that the victory has already been won, the victory has already been secured. And yet, and yet, while heaven rejoices, Revelation 12, 12 says, this Satan has been cast down and he is very angry. Why? Because he knows that his time is short. Between D-Day, June 1944, and VE Day, Victory in Europe, May of 1945, there continued to be casualties. There continued to be death. 
even though the troops knew that they had won the definitive war on the beaches of Normandy, Hitler was all the more enraged. Nazi Germany was all the more infuriated. You see, part of the message from Daniel 7 is not just that, yes, Jesus has won the victory and the outcome is certain, but also that these beasts spoken of in this chapter represent the ongoing onslaught of Satan and his demons and oppression. Whether that comes in the form of oppressive governments or evil dictators like Stalin and Hitler and Mao and others, the persecution of God's precious people, the ultimate beast is the devil himself, spoken of by John in the book of Revelation as that dragon, or spoken of by Martin Luther as one armed with cruel hate. And because he knows his time is short, he's angry and he's on the move. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Paul says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as the church continues to to fight, as the church continues to persevere, we must admit tonight that Satan's influence is felt everywhere. Everything is under the curse. Yes, because of the fall of man, but through the instigation of the devil, we're being ravaged by sin We feel it, we experience it, the loneliness, our selfishness, our discouragement, death itself. Verse 25 speaks of this little horn, whether this is the the spirit of the Antichrist or the Antichrist himself, it talks about blaspheming God, speaking boastful things against the ancient of days and the Son of Man. It speaks in verse 25 also of this little horn wearing out the people of God with constant assaults. And that's true, isn't it? That's true in your experience. That's true in my experience. Constantly, the devil is is assaulting you from the left side, from the right side, over and over again, and it can get discouraging. We feel beat down and worn down and discouraged by the sin that we see all around us and inside of us. The question in the midst of this broken, sin-cursed world, even if we know what happened on a cross and empty tomb, sometimes is this. What hope do we have that all of the sad things will come untrue? That's what Sam asked in Tolkien's The Return of the King. Will all of the sad things come untrue? Is there something better? And how can we be sure 
I came across an article this week that said there is currently something very wrong with the world. It's a place filled with sadness. But you see, Daniel 7 is pointing us not only backwards to D-Day, but because D-Day happened, it's pointing us forward to V-Day, Victory Day. A day that is coming when Jesus will return on the clouds of heaven finally and fully and forever and make all things new. Where all the wrongs will be righted where all the sad things will come untrue and where we'll live in the midst of a new heavens and a new earth. This is depicted in C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle when the character Jewel says this, upon seeing this new heavens and this new earth, this new creation, it says, I have come home at last. This is my real country I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life. One day, we will finally and fully and forever be home. And it's not just a probable explanation. You see, it's a reasonable hope. It's rooted and grounded in a blood-bought Savior and an empty tomb, and his ascension and session at the right hand of God. One day, verse 18, will come true in fullness. It's already entered this life in part, and yet we live in the tension of the already, not yet. But listen to what is told to Daniel in verse 18. The effects and consequences of the Son of Man is this, but the saints, listen, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom. I love how he says this. Forever, forever, and ever. It will not end. We will possess the kingdom with Jesus He says in verse 27 as well, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to whom? To the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. See, this is your hope tonight if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your heart to him, then this is your sure hope, your solid conviction. This isn't just some reasonable explanation that, yes, we're going somewhere better. No, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that because of Christ, we're going to a land that is ultimately and truly and forever our home where all of the sad things will come untrue where every tear will be wiped away from our eyes, where we will sin no more. See, that's the hope that a Christian has. And if you're not a Christian, what are you hoping in? Are you hoping that everything will turn out in the end? Are you hoping that when the books are open that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? 
all of us will give an account and will stand before the ancient of days. Our only hope is to place our trust in the Son of Man who gave himself on a cross. And to the church then, to us who struggle here below, to us who fight ongoing sin, to us who live in the midst of this broken world, and it can be so discouraging. This coronavirus thing is starting to take its toll on people. We're isolated. We're out of sorts. And our own sins are exposed, aren't they? But listen to what Paul says to those who are in Christ Jesus, this beautiful, remarkable, astonishing hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and following, he says this, and I close with this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer way, excuse me, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. V-Day is coming because D-Day happened. Let's look to Christ together. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word tonight from Daniel 7. No doubt there is mystery here. These are difficult things to wrap our minds around, these symbols and images. And yet, Lord, we thank you for serving us and giving us this picture of that which has already happened and that for which we still long and wait. Lord, truly as Christians, we live in the tension of the already not yet. We look back at victory. We look back at D-Day. We look back at a definitive moment where Jesus was presented before you and where he was vindicated and where your people were forgiven by grace and yet we still look forward and long for that day when every sad thing will come untrue and where justice will roll down and where righteousness will reign. Father, hasten that day. But Father, help us to to make sure that we love Christ and to make sure that those we love love Christ. And so we pray that they would come and bow before the King of Kings, that they would hail Him and give Him the power that is already His, calling Him Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.